joy. Isaac, we've got a tradition on this podcast that kicks off with a piece of advice. And that's not a piece of advice from me. It's a piece of advice from a previous guest on the Outside and Active podcast. And this week, the advice for you comes from an incredible ultra runner called Scott Jenkins, who has recently completed the Destination Trail triple triple crown of 200 mile, three 200 mile marathons in two and a half weeks. I got there. Unbelievable achievement um, across the US. So was excited to hear his advice and his advice for you is have an adventure in life and do some good which I think is perfect because you are doing both of those things which we're going to talk about um firstly what's what's your reaction to that advice I love it I love things that are simple simple one lines you know people tell you I oh, used to do this 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 and this and this I think you can get lost in the complexity of the advice being given. And I think adventure, do good, simple, to the point. Anyone can interpret how they like. I mean, I hope that doing good is not burning stuff down outdoors, but <laughs> uh, in your view, but <laughs> we, I think we all understand what that yeah. means and, uh, and can take that advice on. It's really great. Yeah, great piece of advice. Well, actually doing some good, I think even more perfectly relates to what you do because he, he does a lot of charity work and... Um, the adventures that he goes on and the challenges that he does, he's also raising money, which is also something that you do. And I think that's what he was meaning from that. Um, but obviously for people to take it into their own lives as well. Uh, talking of, of simple and simple questions and themes, the next question that I ask to everyone is also very simple and purposely vague. So what do you love about being outside and active? Well, the fact that it saved my life in the past... <laughs> Um, I, I credit my mental health recovery, a uh, uh, long story there, to nature and being outdoors and active. Um, apart from that, I would say, you know, w what it is to me is is everything. Um, without it, 
you know, we're intrinsically linked with the earth, you know, our well-being and our, and who we are as people, you know, we are nature. So that, 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 that is my answer to that question. <laughs> I like that. I, th- I like the, the way that you said intrinsically linked to the earth. Elaborate on that a little bit more. Yeah. So I, I feel like many people who might be um, in the outdoors this week, you might go for a nice relaxing walk. Uh, through the woods or um, by a lake or in the sea or something like this. And you may feel more relaxed. Like it may actually, you know, calm you down. And that is, you know, nature whispering to us. And that is it, you know, feeding us really good well-being. And I feel that we are are linked with nature. So if, you know, nature is doing well, we're going to do well. So if nature is prosperous, there's lots of resources, there's plentiful for everyone, then we will do well. If nature is not doing so good and it's a catastrophe, then, you know, there's always incidents for us. And I feel that our well-being is is linked to the well-being of the planet. And that's why I advocate for sustainability leadership as well as getting involved in encouraging people to reconnect with nature so they can kind of see that link, which is uh, kind of, been disappearing at an alarming rate as we disconnect from nature year on year with more and more technology i think that 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 link is being lost and um yeah i think uh we've got to we've got to reconnect we've got to see it as we are part of it we are part you know it's not nature and us you know we, it's us we're a team us <laughs> and planet together um and that's that's how i like to to to, to view that Listeners uh, in the intro would have heard about the many different hats that you hold uh, and the number of different things that you do. Um, Just to list a few off, again, world record-breaking adventurer, keynote speaker, co-founder of Climate Explorers, Explorers, trustee of Mind Charity, a number of different things. And also there's more than that. Um, And I'm interested to get into quite a few of these, but I'm also interested in what the mission statement is behind you, behind Isaac. What is the driving force that kind of, means that you get involved in all of these things yeah so the the main mission for me is i want to be here to create a positive impact people planet everything that's why i'm on this planet um i want to empower individuals to you know take care of the environment they're in and take care of the mental health of others you know these are seriously key things to me and that mission statement, how that all came about, was uh, a realization many, many years ago where I had a crisis, a uh, personal crisis, and didn't find until I had a moment in nature an answer to this crisis. I was in a state of uh mental health issues um anxiety panic disorder suicidal thoughts that you know all those sort of things it was a downward spiral everything was falling apart i got out in nature and something happened to me where my you know my spirits were lifted i was able to think properly again i was able to kind of reconnect with myself and and it was the generosity of nature it gives time and also just give something like a presence that makes you feel warm and welcome. And what happened on that day is what's driving me at this moment. You know, I believe that you know, I 
was saved by the outdoors. It stopped me from getting into a worse state. I, I changed my lifestyle to get more involved in doing outdoor activities and sports and, and you know, despairs, moments of despair has really, really become rare. And when it does, you know, I get outdoors and it's like my reset button and it helps. And that's the driving force between for that mission because I believe that hundreds and hundreds of people who were, you know, like me in that state of mental health crisis, you know, they're burnt out from their jobs, working too hard, they're not getting any um, outdoor time, which means they're depleted in brain chemicals that give happiness. Uh, serotonin, for instance, is what you get from outdoors. Outdoor activity, oxytocin, you know, all of these n- n- good things that we can get naturally. We we're not getting we're not getting as a society as much as we should have. And I think there's hundreds and hundreds of people who can resonate with that. You know, day in day out, sometimes they wake up. They drive to work, they get to work, they're on a screen all day, they drive back and they haven't really seen the day. Mm. They don't know what the day was like out there. They, you know, it's quite, it's quite depressing, really. 100%. Um, and I try to encourage uh, people to reconnect with nature in your own little way. If you can get to work, maybe by cycling through a park, if you can get outdoors on the weekends, if you can't do it in the week um, and just connect with what gives us life and that is really important for the mind um a lot of people will be given you know prescriptions or a drug for poor mental health or i'm really stressed and they might say oh maybe you need to take take this or take that and here's this and here's that and there's there's all these like things that you know start to mask the problem um and i think that sometimes it's the lifestyle that is the issue and we are human we are we are creatures we you know outdoor and active i love this podcast like it talks about you know getting outdoors and active that was what we did as humans for pretty much most of our days to stop that suddenly is like a change in human nature which is really radical and quite dangerous and we can really learn from you know our history and how we used to live to how we can live today in a more healthy and you know prosperous way we're in this sort of comfort. We're always looking for comfort. Like how can we make things easier and you know easier and easier for ourselves? So we spend more and more time indoors and creating more and more inventions. We don't need to hunt or gather food as we used to. We don't have to do, but now we've made it so comfortable that we've actually created another issue, which is a, a, another crisis, a, 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 you know, a physical and mental health crisis because we're not physically or, or mentally getting outside doing what we're supposed to be doing as humans or as new mammals. So, and that's what's driving me at the minute is the fact that, you know, this helped me and it's helped a lot of people. There's a lot of science behind what I talk about. Um, There's a lot of research. There's tons of charities that suggest, you know, five ways to wellbeing, for instance, and that's all about getting outdoors. Um, My mission is to protect the outdoors though. It's not just to, to, to get outdoors. You know, I do more than just getting out there and, you know, enjoying my runabout and whatever. I, I advocate to protect it because there's another crisis going on at the same time as this mental health crisis, which is a climate crisis. And we are taking far too much from the, the earth and we're not replenishing at all at the, at the rate that is as fast as we are taking, which means there's a deficit. And if we continue to deficit, there won't be an outdoors. There won't be a nature for us. And then we'll be in a real trouble we do need to learn how to coexist with the planet. And that's where, you know, when I say in my mission statement to empower individuals to take care of the environment and the mental health of others, that's why I put the two together because I, I do think they're very linked.
Interesting. I mean, there's there's so much to pick up on what you just said, and I, I want to circle back around to talking about the work that you do in, in terms of promoting the protection of the environment and the world that we live in, um, but just picking up on what's almost seemed to be quite an overnight cathartic moment that you have had connecting with nature. Uh, firstly, you know, kind of what time period are we in here in terms of how old were you? Because I think it was during university, but also yeah, yeah. that you know, because you were going through and experiencing some quite serious mental well-being issues, mental health issues. And it, the way you talk about it there seems quite, a, like I said, cathartic overnight experience. But what was the actual time frame on that? And how did yeah, you look I, to kind of, kind of those those building blocks to recover? To I know you never really fully recover. And like you mentioned, there's there are difficult times. But to try and pull yourself away from where you were at that moment. Yeah, I mean, going back to the university days, um, Dom and I both went to the same university in yeah. Holloway. Dom will know of the forest that interlinks uh, part of our campus. Yeah, I used to walk a lot in that forest, um, and that was a weird realization. When I used to walk, I used to enjoy that walk. I would purposely go out of my way to do that walk, to go further into that that woodland, even if I didn't have to, because something inside was saying I really enjoy that walk. And it only took upon reflection that, oh, actually. I'm enjoying this walk because I can actually think straight here. I'm not, I've not got all of these overwhelming inputs. There's not advertisements. There's not loads of people. I mean, that walk was quite quiet. If you remember, there wasn't yeah. always hundreds of people walking up so that you had a bit more free time to yourself. And I could actually start thinking about what mattered to me. And it was that penny drop moment where I started to realize on that, on that, on that walk, there was something good happening. And then I had a really bad crisis state, um, which was, you know, a couple months after sort of seeing this relationship happening where I was kind of seeking out that little woodland on my walks around campus. And a friend said to me, why didn't you, I was going really, really into a spiral. He said, go for a walk, go as far as you can, just keep walking till your mind's clear. Because I spoke to my friends openly. I said, you know, I, I really like getting <laughs> that walk in the woods. Yeah. And they just suggested for me to keep going. And so I, I walked and walked and walked. I walked for a long time that day. I walked, so local to the university, you remember Virginia Water? Yeah, yeah. I walked through Virginia Water, through the Royal Park. I went, keep, and I kept going further and further. I went along the river, ages and ages and ages, just going along. And through that walk it was a realization, not just that, you know, I was in, you know, enjoying the walk, of course, because it was fun, um, but I was connected with the outdoors, I could hear and see things that I didn't really take in. And that was where I was thinking, you know what, there's something, there's something up here. I, I really need to, I need to, I need to really um, get involved in, in the outdoors in nature because this, this thing is really powerful. I came back every time from any walk like that long walk. So I started doing it again, again, of course, cause it was really interesting to me to experiment, to see how my mind and my body was changing. And, I, and the more and more I came back from these walks, the better and better I felt, the stronger I felt. Um, I had more energy. I was more productive. Um, I, I felt more healthy. My, you know, my engagement with all my peers was all better. You know, uh, and suddenly this mental health spiral was kind of reversing. Um, so yeah, it did take a couple of months for me to to come round, but there was a there was a penny drop moment, that realization, you know, where you just reflect and you think, ah, oh, I've got it. I need this thing and this thing uh, also needs me because it looks like the rest of the world is killing it off. Um, so I 
also wanted to, you know, vowed myself, you know, I'm going to protect this. Right. I'm going to protect nature as well. Well, that kind of links in with, again, a university. You were studying an earth sciences-based degree as well. Yes, but science, it's weird. Science and jargon, you know, all that scientific jargon and things. Yeah. It, sorry, I, I've just hit my screen. <laughs> it wasn't very, um, I guess, inducive to that relationship. Okay. You know, I, I was learning a lot about the earth and... And I, I, I have to admit, during the course, the, the earth science course, there is philosophy. You know, there's discussions about the intrinsicness of nature. And right. there wasn't much about, you know, humans and nature um, and us and nature in that course. But it, may, it, may, you know, it begs to wonder, I was doing an earth science course and I was struggling with this. You know, imagine all the other courses like math has nothing to do with nature rentals. So I only learned through doing and getting out there really that, that, that realization only came out of the action. Taking those first steps was, was kind of where I, where I got that. Um, Yeah. So then you start to connect with nature and that eventually leads on to understanding that we need to protect nature. And this links back to what you were just talking about a few minutes ago about not only do I want to encourage people to connect with nature, but I want to encourage people to protect nature. I mean, how, what is the impact that we are seeing and how can we as individuals do our own, in, you know, do our role to work together? Yeah, so um, I always talk about sustainability leadership as, a, as an empowerment that, you know, anyone can hold the sustainability leadership torch. You know, if they're willing to embrace that light, it's not, it's not um, difficult yes the the complex problem of climate change is vast huge it's like a behemoth it's you know colossal it's massive for one person to comprehend solving that problem is just <laughs> it's just going to give you eco anxiety you know psychological emotional distress to to emo- environmental concerns and the potential consequences you're going to be like sitting there yeah overwhelmed yeah and i think actually you know there's mil- billions and billions of people on this planet and each one of them are very special. Everyone's got a very, very, very interesting thread of themselves, an expertise perhaps, something they're very good at. I always encourage people to take leadership based on your domain. So instead of thinking of, oh my God, the fossil fuel industry is so awful, da 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 da, and you're, you've got no like energy industry experience or anything like that you can't really do anything about that but what can you do within your industry you might be thinking oh i'm in agriculture or something oh i so what for working in your area you can make more of an actionable change and i see uh individual changes as uh tributaries um that meet a flowing river so i feel that you know we can do our collective action um, within our expertise domain. So make our areas more sustainable, make our areas more uh, environmentally less damaging or something like this. We can work on what we know. And together, we, you know, each one of us doing that action is a tributary connecting to this great river of like sustainable change. that's going to just flow into the sea. It's going to be a big tide. And I, I believe that, you know, through sustainability leadership, each one of us taking our own actions, we, we can truly, truly t- t- turn the tide on it. But we got to think of it differently. Think of it not like we have to solve everything at once. No, from an individual level, I think we need to f- focus on our own areas. Um, and th- you know, those who are got maybe sort of the bigger problems, for instance, trying to discover what the battery is and how we can actually, you know, harness the battery, uh, we need to encourage them. But, you know, don't 
beat yourself down if you do, if you can't answer it. I, eventually, I do believe AI might come into its own for that question. But there there is there is a lot of um, things that we can do on an individual level, um, and that can be lifestyle changes as well. Where do you get your clothes from? You know, I I I, I got a new watch. Um, this is my last watch. Um, broke in the water. Uh, but this watch this time, you know, I got it ocean recycled plastic from Tria. So, cons- you know, thinking about what you consume, do you, you know, can you get more sustainable products that are recyclable? Can you get secondhand? Where do you get your food from? Can you get it locally where it doesn't have to be flown in from the other side of the world? And in a supermarket, can you get, you know, can you get it from local groceries? Where do you, uh, you know, transport, how do you transport yourself? Do you, do you, do you need to, to drive, do you need to take that flight or can you take a train? You know, thinking of all the actions that you do in your day-to-day basis and looking at ways you can be more sustainable. You might not think that it's not making a difference because it's just you and your lonesome, but collectively, if we all did that, it is a huge, huge difference. And think of every action you're doing as like a new tributary into that r- river of flowing sustainable change. I think that's a, a good way of looking at it, of everyone having their own tributary that's going towards this this big river of making a big change. And I, I want to probe a little bit more about what else you do with um, Climate Explorers before we start going towards the adventures that you've taken on the world record, um, successes, and then eventually leading to this recent challenge that you've done. But um, tell me a bit more about Climate Explorers, how it came about and what kind of the mission is there. Yeah, so Climate Explorers was born out of a uh, impact campaign called Pedival Parks. So um, where I first took on, on my sustainable leadership role, like the first time I was like, okay, I'm going to be leading by example on this. I decided um, in 2020 to create a new era of adventure. So I saw adventure as my ex- expertise and a, Maybe your guests might have heard in the intro, but I've done quite a lot of world records and outdoor challenges in my time. And uh, some of them have been, you know, quite, uh, I guess, environmentally friendly. This particular one was probably the most sustainable, environmentally friendly challenge I could possibly have ever done. Um, But what I wanted to do was inspire a new era of adventure, um, something where I could say as a domain expert, you know, going back to that, I will make my area more sustainable and I will try and lead the change there. And I called it eco-adventure. And that was um, a new type of adventure that it's basically was combining environmental responsibility and education with adventurous activity. So instead of going outdoors, you know, on your mountain bike and kind of tearing up the trails, you go maybe outdoors, go on your mountain bike, maybe go on some of the trails, but not all of them. The ones that are damaged already don't go on those and let the, you know, the land roots restore itself. And then maybe perhaps get involved in some of the uh, grassroots sustainable action around those trails, like getting involved, maybe some tree planting, for instance. So you leave the place better than when you found where you found it. And that is what the eco adventure concept is, is how can we you know, get involved in sustainable grassroots action during our adventures and also share that message to others that they can do the same right. because you know outdoor adventure industry travel industries is is terrible for the planet as well you know it's not i know we are connected with nature and we, we love gaining outdoors but we're still like flying to everest um and we're going up there with tons of plastic and leaving all our trash there you know there's microplastics at the top of everest now 
and I just met a um a, a new adventurer the other day. He's not a new adventurer, sorry. I, for me, he was a new adventurer because <laughs> he was new. But for for others, he's been around for a very long time. He's a polar explorer, um, and he's going to the South Pole to measure uh, microplastic samples to see if plastic has made its way all the way to the middle in the South Pole. I beg, I beg that he doesn't find anything yeah. there. I really hope he doesn't find microplastic. But if it's that, you know, at the South Pole and on uh, Everest, microplastic. It, that, you know, travel adventure tourism has had its impact. We, you know, we're just at fault as you know, other industries. You know, outdoor industry is just a different form of industry, right? It's yeah. It still could be made more sustainable. So eco adventure is about promoting those activities, but trying to re- you know be involved in restore restoration. So we made a, our first eco adventure, and this was um, a long cycle from the north to the south of the UK. Uh, it went from Orkney Islands, which is just north of um, Scotland, all the way to the Isles of Scilly, um, which is uh, off the west coast of Cornwall. And it was a 1,200, 300-mile cycle. And we cycled over water, which was very exciting because those two stretches had never had cycle- cycles over before. Wow. People had swam them before. They had been swam, but no, no one had cycled them before. Um, and in a, you know, in the nature of that, we were cycling the length of the UK. We thought we'll keep the cycling theme, uh, <laughs> but they're also very dangerous tidal streams, especially the one in the north. They're one of the most dangerous tidal streams in the whole of the world. You could be in the middle of that tidal stream, and it could throw you uh, across uh, in a couple of seconds, you know, 20, 30 meters. So at times it can be very dangerous. But we managed to uh, coordinate our timings really effectively, so that we got the neat tide, and the uh, state of the uh, water was as flat or as uh, low tide as possible um, and we managed to get across but the, the, the nature of the expedition you know the big meaning of it was to go to these grassroots sustainability projects across the UK, conservation projects or um, new ways of doing urban farming or um, other things such as renewable energy projects and a lot more that we explored and actually create a film that documented what these projects are and what they're doing and travel using, you know, a bike, which is incredibly sustainable, to uh, go across the UK and and film all these projects and explore them, so that we could create this uh, culmination, this film, um, and then that film we could use as a, a way of, I guess, sharing the message that these are projects local to you. You can get involved in. You can help turn the tide of sustainability through climate action. There are things that you can get involved in. And the reason why we wanted to do that is because there is a growing frustration of a lot of people saying, right, we've got a climate crisis, but what can I do? Well, one of the things you can do is support things locally to you, community, and getting involved in the environmental movement where you are. So Eco Adventures promote that sort of local environmental um, action. And after we made this film, it went across the world, won loads of awards at film festivals. It was shown at the United Nations COP26 conference in Glasgow. We got to stand in front of world leaders showing, you know, this is action. This is what action looks like. Wow. <laughs> and, and you know that um, sustainable leaders in, in COP, you know, there's a lot of chat about policies. Um, ours was all about, well, this is what's going on on the, on the ground, right? We're, we're taking action. And um, they were very inspired by it themselves. And um, after we did all, all of that, there was this whole, you know, revelation. This, the, it was the end. You know, the, the project 
ended, the eco-adventure had finished. You know that feeling? I don't know anyone listening to this podcast, but when your adventure feels this, it's a bit like, oh, that's sad, you know, it's over. 100%. Um, it's like post-marathon yeah. or post-event dip. <laughs> yeah. 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 But the realization that, you know, sustainability, it, it, it never ends until we can learn to coexist with with the planet. You, well, you know, although we made this fleeting act of heroism, we made this eco-adventure and it was it was loved by a lot of people. It made very little difference to the, you know, the, the, the change of direction that we need as a planet. We need more than just uh, this this one eco-adventure. We need to do more. You know, we need a cultural shift, a, a behavior change. We need to transform the mindsets of people so that everyone is thinking of sustainability leadership within themselves and what they do. So there we go. We're now at Climax for CIC where we decided let's set up a community interest company with its sole purpose to enable eco-adventures for all. So we want to be a driving change where we connect people with the outdoors through adventures, which are really fun. Uh, also great team building activities for Absolutely. businesses, Yeah, but also get involved with actual hands-on climate action, you know, sustainable environmental um, projects as well as educate them in sustainability and leadership. There's going to, you know, there's experts who can educate people on how they can be more sustainable and what they can do in their own lives. So people go on these eco adventures with us and Climate Explorers basically facilitates that sort of that bridge between understanding and action that seems to be missing with most of the, most of the population at the moment. Um, so we're really excited to be able to do eco adventures a lot more, but for everyone else, not just for us. So we're looking to, you know, really change that tide and make more tributaries, like be part of that yeah. that system of creating new 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 uh, changes for people's lifestyle. And uh, we, we successively became a B corporation, which I'm not sure if everybody knows on the podcast, but it basically means that you know we adhere to the highest standards of social and environmental responsibility. Um, it's a strong recognition for the the work that we do. And as a community interest company, a lot of our income goes into supporting these local projects that we, you know, that we are um, taking people to as part of the eco adventures. So it's a very uh, powerful social movement that we are, you know, building at the moment, um, and it's growing and growing and growing. We're getting a lot of interest. So that's what Climate Explorers is. Well, one, I mean, an incredible initiative that is, you know taking off and do, uh, making a big impact. And the the challenge that you spoke about a few minutes ago as well of the the, the, the the long cycle from one part of, I say, from the country of the UK to the other is an example of one of the challenges that you've undertaken. I mean, just to give people listening some more context around some other world record uh, attempts and successful attempts and other challenges, what are some of the ones that you've done in, I guess, in recent times? Yeah, so in, in recent years, um, so last year, um, I set a challenge a lot of my challenges have been uh, team team challenges where I've worked with other people, um, t- participated in you know, one or two adventures together. This challenge uh, last year, um, as an experiment to see the power of nature, you know, I was talking to you about how powerful it was for my mental health perspective. I wanted yeah. to experiment and see if I could use nature as inspiration to get me to the other side of this huge challenge. I'd never run further than a marathon at this point. But I set my goal on running you know, maybe, I think it was like five to six marathons in a row. It's, it was 230 kilometer run. And I'd never run any marathon, obviously, <laughs> off-road. And basically, I chose to go from north to south of Wales, not the whole route, um, 
from the highest peak, Snowdon, to um, the highest peak in South Wales, uh, Penafan, as well as the highest peak in south, southern Snowdonia, Kader Idris. So uh, this is called the Welsh Three Peaks Challenge. And a lot of people, what they do is uh, they rock up, they drive, they climb up one, they go to the, in their car, they drive to the next one. They, you know, I wanted to run all of it. Um, and it was not done before. No one had run this route. Okay. And I wanted to run because, one, I have been fascinated with Wales uh, as a country. Um, I lived there for a year and I hadn't really explored the middle of Wales before. I had gone up to Snowdonia and was really you know, interested to see what it's like in, in the middle. So I thought, oh, do you know, it would be really interesting to, to see the change from north to south, but on a very slow migratory level. So that run was like slow travel for me yeah. to explore you know, what Wales had to offer. So that was really exciting. It was a route that's never been done before. So that was a challenge. You're like, you know, come on, Isaac, you can do this sort of thing. Um, and the other part of it was I was on my own. And ah. that really was difficult. And I didn't expect it to be as difficult as it was, but it was hugely difficult to, to mentally keep myself uh, active for that whole time. Um, usually you say, oh, I'm suffering or I'm dealing with some problem. Can we talk it out? Who did I have to talk to? The the bird here and there, or or the or the river, or the swaying trees. The hallucination you know, that's in front of you. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah the hallucination that was in front of me. It was it was an interesting experiment, and um, it did make me realize how important you know not just nature but people are as well. Um, but pleasantly, I was surprised by the power of mindfulness. Um, there was a film crew who filmed me, but when I say they were, they weren't very near me. They were following me, but hardly ever saw them. Fly on the wall style. And, yeah. 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 Fly on the wall. And they said to me that whenever they spoke to me during that challenge, they were convinced that my curiosity with being out there in the outdoors was what, what was driving me to continue. Like, despite I'd never run further than a marathon, I was just obsessed with finding out more about the outdoors and seeing what was around the corner because I was just in love with with the settings I was in. It was stunning. And every corner I, I took, it just got better and better. Um, it was an interesting, interesting experiment. So that was last year. And then this year, where we spoke, um, you know, to, to just go on to this podcast, was yep. um, a, a 15-kilogram weighted west best uh, ironman challenge so no one had done that well i don't expect anyone to have tried that <laughs> um but it was a 15 kilogram weighted vest ironman and it, it took uh, well over 20 hours to, to complete and the reason behind that one again was you know you're probably noticing a thread purposeful adventures so this one was a weighted vest and it was to symbolize the weight that we all carry um when we're not talking about our mental health so that weight compounds, it gets heavier, and it gets more and more difficult to deal with unless we open up or actually take action in supporting our own mental health. And that weight vest was compounding. I can tell you that the weight got heavier as our Ironman challenge went on. Yeah, I was going to say, um, what, what were some of the challenges obvious to, uh, obviously other than quite literally having an extra 15 kilograms of weight on you? Um, but I also read that it maybe had an effect on your breathing as well as maybe some balance. And I can imagine in the swimming section, that does have an impact, especially. Oh, yeah, the swimming se section was, uh, that was the scariest part. Uh, it was so scary. I had a panic attack in the, in the beginning. Wow. So I, di I dived in. Um, 
and it was funny i dived in so the plan was not to dive but the film crew thought it was cooler so <laughs> dive I, in just go just go but i might sing uh, just dive in <laughs> It's you know what it felt like in those pirate movies, like what the plank where he's got <laughs> you know bricks, bricks on. We hadn't <laughs> planned for this. <laughs> yeah, it was very much like that. So I dived in, and I went to take my big, big deep breath, and I realised I had this vest on that was compressing my chest because obviously I could not expand the, the vest. <laughs> so I'm trying to get this big breath in because I need it, and. And then it just put me into a bit of panic. I had trained to enter water slowly and get my breathing uh, in the right rhythm and cadence uh, so I could do it in the sea. I was training in the sea very well. But in this instance, I dived into this lake and did that. And uh, yeah, it threw me off and I should have trained that. Um, and because it threw me off, you know, I went into a bit of a panic, uh, real, real panic. It took about five minutes to calm myself down, treading water. So I'm not moving here. I'm not making any distance. I'm just treading water yeah. with this vest on. Eventually, I calm myself, and then I start the swim. And you're right, the balance is really hard. So during the training, I had to uh, learn to kick a lot harder. So um, a lot of men um, will find that actually, you know, that they have to kick a lot harder because they don't have as... I, I know this sounds maybe perhaps a little bit awkward to say, but men especially have to kick because they're... they're, they're um, legs and stuff don't you know, raise as much as, right, as okay. a female's yeah. legs would yeah uh, on the surface so we have to kick a bit harder and that there is science to prove that but with a weighted vest uh, you know i had to kick even harder because i had this weight pushing me down so the you know the the, the velocity of the kick was so important so for that whole four you know 3.8 kilometers of swim i had to kick like an absolute monster um the whole way through to, to keep my uh, my body above uh, the water so I wasn't like dragging my legs um, through the water because a lot of Ironman athletes you, or, or people who do Ironman, they, they don't focus so much on their kick. They kind of, you see them with pool boys a lot. In this instance, you wouldn't have been able to have survived that swim uh, without learning to kick hard. Um, and the weight of the vest was really off balance. So every time I rotated to do a stroke, um, not only did I have to almost lift a shoulder press because the weight is on my shoulder, you know, it's actually like lifting a dumbbell. I had to do that, but also I had to be quite careful that I didn't twist too much because the actual vest can make you flip because you're, you, you, unless you've got an insanely strong core, which I had to develop a really strong yeah. core to be able to do this. You could flip onto your back by accident because you just over rotated. Um, so yeah, the swim was difficult. Um, uh, was there questions about the other bits of sport? Yeah, well? I mean... They, were, they uh, all uh, had different, different challenges. <laughs> yeah, because... That. I mean, if anyone is thinking, oh, 15 kilograms can't be that heavy. If you've got a kilogram bag of, I don't know, flour or rice at home, it's that times 15, and that's on top. That's not just, you know, walking around. That is, like you said, they're swimming, trying to keep your balance, trying to um, move forward. Um, and then a bit, I actually wanted to ask about the metrics of... Uh, an Iron Man, because some people might know you. Yeah, I know it's a long oh, distance, yeah. but what actually is the distance for each of the three disciplines? Yeah, so um, the three disciplines: swimming. That's the first one. Um, usually, people get do the swim first, and it's about three point eight kilometers um, in in distance, and then it's followed by a cycle, um, and that is around one hundred and eighty point two kilometers, I believe. Uh, 100 or 100 and something miles. I can't remember. I can't remember that miles. I'm yeah. not very good at the miles. Yeah, it's about 180k. 100, 118k. 
uh, miles. Um, and then we've got uh, the run um, at the end, and that is a marathon. So that's 26.2 miles, 42.2 kilometers. So that that's the metrics. Um, yeah. So you're Those coming out of... Obviously, I think especially in this, when you're saying you have to kick heavier in the, in the swimming to then go into the cycling where you're constantly losing your legs. And then at the end of all of that, you come around and then you go, all right, just got to mar- run, run a marathon now, last third, run a marathon, and then I'm done. And all of this with the weighted vest on. I mean, I just wanted to ask what your mindset was at the start line. It kind of gives, given us an inkling about being basically thrown in, in the water and having to get used to having the, that kind of that panic and get used to your breathing. But... Are you nervous? Are you confident? Are you thinking about the run that's going to be in sort of 20 hours time? Or are you thinking, no, just swim? That's all I've got to focus on now. Well, yeah. I mean, how it panned out was so different to how I envisioned, I have to be honest with you. Um, I didn't envision how long it would take. Um, The one calculation that I didn't take into account when I was doing the preparation mentally for this was the compounding of weight so as you get more tired you get weaker your body deteriorates right with a weighted vest i can tell you now it was accelerating it was plummeting uh, as time went on um i was struggling so much with with um the, the exponential compounding of that weight as the, as the challenge went on the longer it went on the harder it got at the beginning, I was standing there on the lakeside thinking, I can do this. I've been through a lot of endurance challenges. I have the mindset to keep going. I also have the mindset to know when it's enough or to tone it down or slow things up or change tact. I'm adaptable. I've, I've proven before that I can change my, my approach. And I have a lot of strategies for changing an approach. Never on a challenge have I ever had to change my approach as much as I had to on this challenge. Right. It was unbelievable the amount of different uh, mind games I had to play with myself to keep myself going. Um, the, the, the actual nature of the routes that I was taking, I had to edit and change. It was, uh, I have to say, it was literally, it kept me awake because there was so many problems to deal with. <laughs> um, yeah, Constantly yeah. adapting to things on the go. And that's not really what you want when you're taking on a challenge like this because you just want to go, right, I, I, everything's laid out for me. Um, I've got my nutrition focused. I've got it, everything sorted. I just need to do it. Whereas when things actually aren't going that way and you have to, it, not only you're having to keep moving forward, but you're having to think about these things and the amendments you have to make to the challenge. I mean, were there ever times where you had to, where you just wanted to stop, where you just thought this is not going to be, like this is not it. And then what were the motivations and the, the points where you had, the conversations you had to had, have with yourself that pulled you through? Oh, I'll tell you, there was a lot of moments of I wanted to stop. And it was like, I first envisioned it to take me 18 hours. It took 28 hours, right? So, you know, I wasn't ready for that mentally. I thought 20 hours at tops, not 28. I didn't expect myself to be going right through the night and things like this. So um, the moments where I was in so much pain, it was mainly because uh, I had perhaps like some joint problem maybe, something like this. So on the bike, um, there was occasionally I had a bit of a a knee niggle and I thought, wow, you know, knee niggle, I've got a marathon with this Mm -hmm. vest. So what I would do is I'd stop, you know, work, work the the, the muscles and whatever and make sure everything's okay. 
Um, but in my mind, what was going through was thinking, I was just like, do you know what? I'm not doing this just for me here. Like, this is a mental health message. You know, if I give up, you know, those people who are carrying that weight and they give up, they die. You know, they die. They kill themselves. You know, that's brutal. And I'm sorry to say that on the podcast. No, no, absolutely. That, it's true. That was, what was, that was what was motivating me. I was like, well, if, if I'm going to give up, you know, I'm sending them a message, give up. So I was very much get get back on my bike um and the only time i would really have stopped if i had a severe injury uh that would have stopped me that was the only time in my mind i was ever going to stop i said you know, i'll keep going and going and going and if there's no severe injury that's it you know i'll keep going and am i right and in saying I, I, yeah. right in saying you were, you, you were taking on this challenge on quite a poignant day as well september the 10th World Suicide Prevention Day. Yeah, it was a big day. I was thinking about it um, all the all the time. It was my motivation for getting to the other side. The filmmaker who was filming uh, was very much like, "You are man possessed." And I said, well, "If that's what takes it, it, it takes to get out of these crises, then so be it. I'll be possessed if it, if it gets that message across that we you know we shouldn't give up." And right at the end of that challenge, you know, I take that vest off. Uh, after the filmmaker, he says to me, how do you, how do you feel? Like, are you okay? And then I, I admit, like, I'm so exhausted. I'm so weighed down. I feel awful. And that's me as a man opening up, showing vulnerability. And I take that vest off as a symbol of the weight that I've just shifted after saying that. And it's really powerful. And you know, that, that video of you finishing as well is on your social media. And I was watching it earlier and just you going up for that it was a kind of 11 o'clock in the morning you're, you're, you're finishing a lot later than you expected to you're going up this kind of what looked quite quite a misty wet incline up to 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 where your finish line was and it just looked like a man <laughs> who had been going through it for the last 28 hours what was your feeling when you actually finished obviously you've just mentioned there what it was like when you took physically took that 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 weighted vest off but reaching the finish line and probably maybe the kilometer or so leading up to it when you maybe knew that you were going to finish it's just that feeling of hope you know and no matter how big the challenge can be you know you you can break it down you can work out you know a solution to to it there's all there's always hope um and that that that's what i got out of that i just thought wow you know if i can do that I'm sure um, that will help inspire others to to open up, and that's the sort of thing I wanted to to you know, to do in my own my own little way. You know, outdoors and adventure and endurance—that's my thing. But I like to do, um, and it's the thing I'm good at. So I thought if I can translate a message that gets that across in a in a in, you know uh, inspiring way, then that's that's what I I get out of it. And just and um, the fact of doing the distance that wasn't yeah too much of the meaning. Just quickly, everyone's always interested when people do these challenges and, and take on uh, different adventures about nutrition and hydration. Um, what, what was your plan for that? Because often you're burning so many calories in that time period, you have to put it, you know, fuel your body as well, but it can be quite difficult having solids. What was your strategy for nutrition and hydration during that challenge? Very personal thing, nutrition and hydration to everyone. Mm. I urge everyone to test and try lots of different things. You might have heard a lot of tips from a lot of these guests that have come on. Um, oh, my, my, my favorite thing is baby food. Um, no way. Really? Yeah. Ella's kitchen is, uh, is, is, is my go-to, you know, she knows what I want. Um, I get loads and loads of, uh, baby food because it's nutritional. 
it's probably, it, you know, it has been like blended um, and it's really quick and digestible. Uh, it's, it's hydrating. It does a, a lot of things. Yeah, I mean, you can obviously just blend your own food up, right? But I, I go with Ella's because they're in nice pa- like pouches that I can that I can use as I go. Um, but I often uh, I make my own stuff as well. Um, flapjacks and things like that, they're very good. Um, I like to use those. Uh, hydration wise, I am always, uh, drinking like throughout these, these events, you, you end up in a race against sweat. Like yeah. I, I'm a sweater. I sweat so much. And Same. it was one of the hottest day of the year. This challenge, it was one of the hottest days. I think it was like 27, 28 degrees the whole time. Um, well during the day that is, and I was, I was drinking a lot of SIS with my, um, my, my water, uh, trying to get these salts back in. Um, I found that really, really useful, but yeah, um, baby food or blended food, <laughs> baby food. Uh, works really, well, really works for me. I mean, an incredible challenge and an incredible thing to have, have gone through and a, and a message that you're sending as well. But before we just started recording, I was going to ask you about what's next and you'd already started talking about, well, actually there was quite a short turnover between the next thing that I had going on. I mean, what can you tell me and tell us about the, the, the next thing for you? Oh yeah, I, I, well the next thing itself is actually an indoor uh, challenge. It's not outdoors this time, so it, it's not on brand. Sorry, everyone. Um, it's <laughs> we'll it's you an off. indoor, yeah, it's indoor rowing um, on a on an ergo or a, uh, a concept two, um, and it's a team challenge. Uh, I, I, no, I don't know if anyone will see this, but um, I've got a Movember tash on, um, yeah, and we're we're rowing for men's mental health and say over a day of uh, consistent rowing um, that signifies sort of the feeling of being trapped in the mind, uh, being trapped on the rower in this, in this room. We're locked in, but what's going to get us through is those open communication between us as, a, as three guys. We're going to talk openly about our mental health, how we're feeling, our phys- you know, how things are going during the row, and that's going to get us to the other side, and we want to translate that message again. You know, It's a purposeful message about men's mental health. Um, and Movember is our, our foundation charity that we're, we're supporting on this one. And where can people go to find out more information about you and also this challenge that you've got coming up and also take a look at more information about the Weighted Vest Challenge you've just completed? Oh, yeah. So you can go to my website, isaackenyon.com, and the trailer for the Weighted Vest Challenge the, is called Weighed Down, the film will be called. Uh, that's, that's in the process of being made right now. That's been edited um, and it, yeah, the challenge itself, the indoor rowing challenge, um, it's happening. It's happening over the 24th to 25th of November. Uh, I'm not sure when this episode will go out, but it'll be out by then. Uh, yeah. It'll be out by then. Okay. So if you listen to it and you want to come down and, and, and say hello, um, it's in robots. Uh, it's actually a rowing gym in London, in the city of London. Um, and we're, we'll be, um, rowing there consistently from the 24th from about 7am through, uh, to sort of mid uh, mid afternoon of um, the the Saturday, so yeah, you know that's that's where you can find more. Our IsaacKenyon.com is probably the best, and there's loads of social media channels to follow uh, where you find out more. Yeah, and like I said at the beginning, you wear so many different hats. I do urge people to go and look at your social media and your website to learn more about all of the amazing things that you do um, and ways that you may be able to connect with people that are listening to this podcast. Um, which at the beginning of, I asked you, or I gave you a piece of advice from uh, Scott, who the who was running those ultra marathons. Now is your opportunity to leave a piece of advice for a guest coming onto the podcast in the near future. 
Okay, yeah, I've got I've got my piece of advice. I've been thinking about it ever since the first question <laughs> or the first bit of advice I was thinking. Yeah. So I, I would um ask you know, request or you know, make a request for anyone listening or next person to coming on. Next time you go out for a walk in the outdoors, uh say at the woods, take a, a notebook and a and a pen and uh, spend some time out there, you know, an hour or so and just write down what you're thinking. I like that. I've not had that one before. I like having different ones. I like having things that are quite different that make people think and actually go, oh, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll ingrain that into what I'm doing next. So that's a good piece of advice. I look forward to passing that along. Isaac, yeah. thank you so much for your time and good luck for the challenge that's upcoming. Thanks, Don. Yeah, that's, that was great chatting to you. Thank you. Podcast, are you going to go? of the podcast but until that time i've been dominic brown enjoy the outdoors